Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, and culture. While drinking a few brews. Though we don't often use strong language, the jokes and the content is not intended for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before we begin the episode, we have to give a huge shout out to the Dangits from Madison, Wisconsin for providing us with great bluegrass intro you hear at the beginning of every episode. The song Razzle was written by Jamie Lampkins, but is performed by on behalf of Tom Wasselchuk and the Dangits. If you have a chance, check these guys out at dang-its.com for upcoming shows, music, or on how to book them for weddings, parties, and etc. Thank you for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode 11 of Wisconsin Drunken History. Today's main story is... Go, Pack, go! We are going to be going over the origins of the Green Bay Packers. We will feature another edition of How Many Loco You At, This Day in Wisco History, and we will feature music from Milwaukee's own Honey Creek. We also have a very special interview with Cheesehead Brewing. So why don't you go ahead and grab a cold one, and let's get this thing started. So the date is August 11th, 1919. A semi-pro football team is quietly born in a dingy second-floor editorial room in the old Green Bay Press-Gazette building. It is unknown who or exactly how many individuals were present during this meeting, uh, and there's no real prior announcement uh, made that's notifying anyone uh, of this meeting. So on August 13th, uh, roughly two days later, the Press-Gazette announced that the Indian Packing Company would sponsor, and, uh, and this was the first time that the Packers' name was referenced. A second meeting was held August 14th, with nearly 25 players in attendance. And now, back in these days, it's essentially high school players from uh, East and West. Uh, the best of the best uh, from the last few years. It was uh, at this meeting where uh, Curly Lambeau was elected captain of the team and George Whitney Calhoun was named the manager. Uh, in the inaugural season, the opponents were primarily from neighboring cities and towns, Uh, just in the northeastern Wisconsin area, and then Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Uh, The Packers finished with a 10-1 record, so already dominant. Uh, Home games were uh, played at Hagemeister Park, which had no fences or bleachers or anything. Uh, A collection plate or hat was passed uh, around at each game to collect any spare change. Uh, That that was basically used to cover any expenses that, you know, might have been back then. I mean... They used, what, leather helmets? If there were helmets, they used, you know, oversized pants with, like, a normal, like, Wrangler belt or whatever. So it's not like they were collecting uh, for for big expenses, just for anything that might need to be paid for. The second season was, again, an independent schedule against mostly neighboring towns, and the Packers once again dominated clearly with a record of nine wins, one loss, and a tie. In July, C.M. Neil Murphy, a local typewriter salesman, 
was named business manager, and he quickly organized a committee to build a fence around Hagemeister Park so the Packers could charge some sort of admission fee and start gaining some sort of capital, you know. A few months later, thanks to Indian Packing, the local association of commerce, local contractor Ludolf Hansen, and fans uh, who provided volunteer labor started construction uh, on the fence. Uh, their first game in late September uh, was the uh, w- was right around the time that they started constructing, and by mid-October they had two two large sections of bleachers, the fence, everything was erected and, and well in uh, in stage. So they were ready to rock and roll. Uh, it would allow all the fans that that were coming to those games at the time uh, to sit comfortably and watch uh, at a safe location. Because prior to that. They were watching from the the sides of the field, which is where extra players, coaches, staff, everybody was located on those parts. So yeah, I've seen some vintage footage. Yeah, footage where they're just sitting right out there. There's nothing we block. You can see the Packers playing right on. Right, you know? and and in today's NFL, a lot of uh, coaches and staff and personnel, they're running up and down the field just as much as the players on field are doing. So if you can imagine any fans or spectators being on the the field side getting trampled by a coach who's just running up and down. And now remember this was back in the times when people wore suits and ties to just about everything, but uh, definitely crazy to imagine. Right. And now it costs you, you know, a couple hundred bucks to go try to see a game. Right. So in August of 1921, the one year old American professional football association Uh, awarded a franchise to the Acme Packers of Green Bay during a league meeting that was held in Chicago. The Acme Packing Company had purchased the Indian Packing Company eight months earlier. So less than a year later, the APFA would change its name to the National Football League, uh, which we all know today, obviously. Uh, Most of the league's other members were located in small hotbeds for football. Uh, and were significantly larger cities than Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay was the smallest city in the league when it joined in uh, 21, and has remained the smallest market in the NFL ever since. So the Packers won their inaugural league, uh, their inaugural league game rather, against the Minneapolis Marines. That was on October 23rd of 1921. Uh, they were able to book games with the formidable Chicago Staleys, later it's later known as the Bears. Formidable. That's a that's exactly. a that's a nice term to put it. Like, right. F the Bears, dude. Yep. No, I agree. <laughs> I hate the Bears. Uh, the Bears, the Cubs. I mean, just about any other team in that area. I'm. I. I don't. I don't respect them. Uh, and whether that's the 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 teams themselves or if it's the fans that really give them a bad name, but nope. Yep. Not even an option. So uh, the, the other team there in Chicago was the Cardinals back then. Uh, they finished with a winning record of 3-2-1, so three wins, two losses, one tie. Uh, but it wasn't all sun, sunshine and rainbows. A scandal nearly doomed all they had accomplished. So on December 4th, 1921, in a completely non-league game against Racine, billed as... Battle of the State Championship, the Packers used three Notre Dame players who still had college eligibility left uh, under their names. They used uh, uh, these players under assumed names, and they got caught. 
Two months later, the league removed the Green Bay Packers, albeit not for long. Uh, Thanks to uh, Curly Lambeau, uh, his persistence, and the impression the Green Bay Packers had made already on other clubs and owners uh, during its first season, the Packers were reinstated at the next meeting in June. So we're we're, we're still good at that point. You know, we, we obviously, and this wasn't even a league game. So the fact that it mattered as much probably uh, was also questioned and, and reconsidered that it wasn't like they were doing this against the league, uh, you know, uh, other other teams, and it wasn't during the league uh, games. It was just a totally fun side, you know, game. So in Thanksgiving 1922, a 12-hour rainfall ruined what was supposed to be booster day, contributing to a sparse crowd uh, for this non-league game against Duluth, uh, and another financial disaster is, is basically happened. Club officials nearly canceled the game, but were persuaded to play by a fella named Andrew Turnbull. Uh, he's one of the owners of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. So on November 30th, 1922, marked a turning point in the history of the Packers. Andrew Turnbull promised that if club officials went ahead with the game, he would get the Green Bay's business community to rally behind the team once the season ended. So true to his word, Andrew Turnbull led the effort to create the nonprofit Green Bay Football Corporation before the start of the 23 season. The Packers were now a community-owned team, the investors, the fans. Awesome. So this is where that all begins. Yeah. We know now, you know, that, that, you know, that's the case. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but I know like a lot of people contribute like a share to it. And a lot of those players are actually paid by local, local people in Wisconsin. Right. You know. So when the Packers announced that Vince Lombardi would be the new head coach in 1959, a very popular question among the fans and, and people even around the league was, who the hell is Lombardi? Well, we would quickly learn who the hell he was. Capturing five world titles, including Super Bowls one and two, would certainly help earn the Packers the team of the 60s and one of the greatest dynasties of NFL history. One of the gods of Wisconsin. Right. I mean, this is, and, and so we know now that during, you know, NFL seasons, we know some of the assistant coaches around the league. A lot of them get talked about just as much as other, you know, head coaches or players. In in this time, Lombardi was a associate or um, an assistant coach, rather, of the New York football team, like a running backs coach, I think is what he was. Nobody knew who this guy was. He was in New York for eight seasons as an assistant coach before the Packers announced that he would be the the head coach of this, you know, then storied football team. It's cool that the Packers kept the history too. Like obviously Lambeau Field, you know, Lombardi, yep. you know, the Lombardi trophy. They really pay like, they they yeah, really definitely. they they pay homage to anybody who's who's done right, you know, in the history or to the organization. Uh even up to street names and, and things in the town of uh, Green Bay as well. So title town, right? Mike, 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 the Packers would find new success after decades of disparity and sadness after the Lombardi era. 
usher in the new era of Mike Holmgren, Mike Sherman, and Mike McCarthy. Legends. Legends. The Green Bay Packers have an extremely rich history of winning and success. Since 1929, the Packers have won 13 championships. That's 1929, 1930, and the 1965-1967 Green Bay Packers teams are the only ones to have won three straight NFL titles. Now, the 1921-31 through 31 team did it when the championship was determined by league standings, uh, but the 1965-67 through 67 team accomplished this under the league playoff system, which was implemented in 1933. Uh, supported by three of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers, we have been spoiled with some of the most successful signal callers under center that this league has ever seen. And just in the last 28 seasons alone, we've been to the playoffs 20 times. We've had 13 division champions, appeared in three Super Bowls. We won two of those. Brett Favre was league MVP three times and named to 11 Pro Bowls. And Aaron Rodgers has been league MVP two times and named to eight Pro Bowls. I mean, they're legends. I mean, DeFarve and the Rodgers. Everyone everyone roots for them. This is insanity. 28 years, 20 playoff appearances, and all of these other notable accolades. And that's two quarterbacks right that's not Chicago Bears and Cleveland Browns status of like 30 quarterbacks a piece going through damn near two a year I mean we're talking about two quarterbacks that are typically referred to as you know Iron Men Rodgers has had his uh, more recent uh, bouts of of unhealthiness and injuries and stuff that's kept him off the field uh, and then relationship status that's kept him a little bit out of the game as well. Danica. She's they broke up though, like two oh, days I, ago. I had no idea. I didn't hear that. Like two days ago. Really? You heard it here first. Oh, wow. This is two days ago as of the date we're recording. Wow. So this might be weeks ago when you're hearing this. You know a crazy thing about Danica, do you know she's from Beloit, Wisconsin? She is, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I didn't know if you knew that. Yeah. And and I don't I don't ever blame any of the significant others of Aaron Rodgers for any of his distractions this is on him alone generally if you're a performer on on this caliber of a team you should have the the you know the wherewithal to keep a level head put personal stuff aside and get on the effing field and play the damn game if you if you were uh, you know part of the Lombardi era he would tell you that exact same thing and you know what he would also tell you when you get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. None of that showboat and gloating, you know, sh- stuff that they do in the league now. Yeah. You get in the end zone, you put the ball down, and you get back to the sidelines. Don't waste any of your energy. Don't blow out a hammy uh, doing a, a stupid electric slide, you know, dance in the end zone. Put your stupid big boy pants on and let's act like adults here 
And uh, it's crazy. It's just yeah, nuts that we as a, a, an organization have been so spoiled with the success, with these individuals who have been so good. Now, we recently drafted a new quarterback that is, for all intents and purposes, uh, the heir apparent to the quarterback spot, Jordan Love. He looks to be on film really good. And I hope that it's just like what we all felt, you know, going from Favre to Rodgers. Everybody loved Brett Favre. And if you don't, you're lying to yourself. There's only two type of people that exist in this world. People that loved Brett Favre and talk about it. And then there's people that loved Brett Favre, but in the public kept saying, I don't really like that guy. He's a big whiner. Nope. You love Brett Favre and you're a closet Favreholic just like the rest of us. Brett Favre is, and I will go on record saying, the greatest football player in NFL history. I have to agree with that. I mean, a lot of people just are angry because he went to the Vikings. But right. really, I mean, I get it. I and, and here's the thing. That can all be attributed back to Ted Thompson and the Packers organization not wanting to uh, rest you know, and leave this Rogers talent sitting on the bench. I get it. You hired in a guy that is, is wasting away in your perception, sitting on the bench. A Favre isn't his guy. Favre was not a Ted Thompson guy. That was Ron Wolf. When Ron Wolf took over as GM for the Packers, the first move he made was to go get, Brett Favre from the Atlanta Falcons, from Jerry Glanville, who was using him as a, a sideshow on the road to throw footballs up to the third deck in stadiums. That's not something you need to do. You go out and you get Brett Favre to back up what, who, you know, the then Don Mikowski, the magic man. And everybody thought, okay, this, you know, why did they go out and waste a first round, you know, pick trading for this guy? Now you see it. Oh, for sure. Now yep. you see why. Yep. And, and you know who, who knew it back then was Ron Wolf. That guy was an absolute mastermind. He's also the reason why we got Reggie White. Tell me he's not the minister of defense. Oh, right. He's one of the, if not the, greatest defense you know, players in, in NFL history. Just I always think about it this way. So the, the, the mid-'90s Packers were like the Chicago Bulls of the 90s for me. I mean, you had Gilbert Brown. Yeah. I mean, Reggie White. Brett Favre. I mean, these guys. Robert just, Brooks. Oh, Robert Brooks. I Mark mean, just Chimura. so many of them. You had uh, Dorsey Levins. Dude. And you had, I mean, just an all-star cast of players that, I don't know, maybe in any other uh, in any other football team, maybe they don't even make the starting lineup. Right. But you put them all together, and it just works. We also, I mean, we also spent, you know, big money on some other names. Uh, there was a tight end, uh, Jackson. I mean, we, we went out and we, and we did some stuff that, you know, 90, it was like the 94, 95 season. Reggie White was like the first of the ones that, you know, holy cow, they're really making moves. Yeah. And uh, as a small market team, as we've already said, the Packers weren't known for, for making splash headlines on trying to grab players off the free agent market or trading guys. They were relatively known as we're going to, you know, get hometown talent. We're going to farm them up. And then, you know, uh, we're going to see these guys in a couple seasons and not, honestly, not trading like Lambeau field is one of those stadiums where you actually can't get a ticket. I mean, it's booked for years in advance to get a season ticket, right? It's just, it's the only one. And I've been all over the United States. I like to travel. It's one of my things, road tripping. 
And anywhere you go in the United States, you will find a Packers fan. You'll find a Packers bar. You'll there find is, it, yeah. There is a whole establishment in just about every damn big city that is meant to be a place of worship for the Green Bay Packers and all of the fans that exist all around the entire world. You go to other countries and find Packers bars. And the only other team in the entire league that has something like that of a cult following is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. I mean, it's basically Packers and the Steelers. Exactly. And one of my favorite memories, actually, with uh, the Packers, so we were we were traveling. We did a road trip. Um, we took, you know, the route across. We got to California, and we wanted to see a Packers game. Mm-hmm. We were just south of L.A., we're like, all right, let's stop in this bar and let's go see the Packers while we're going up the coast of San Francisco, you know? We were the only two Packers fans. They're playing the Oakland Raiders. Yeah. I literally thought I was gonna get murdered, but we we're still rooting on. I don't I don't care, dude. I mean, if you're in the Oakland Coliseum watching the game and you're wearing the green and gold, there's a chance yeah. that you're getting stabbed. Yeah. But I, I have a feeling you're a little bit more safe when you're not in the home of the Raiders. That's true. Yeah. For sure. But otherwise, you definitely would have been dead. So today, roughly 361,311 people own 5,009,518 shares of the Green Bay Packers. So again, like we mentioned before, these are investors who own the team. And they are the fans and the different community members around and again, like I said, to this day, people still own the team, not a, a private investment, you know, not a private owner. We're the only only league that, or the only team in the league that has that. The cool thing is, too, it's not just Wisconsin. People all over the yeah. United States own these shares. Right. You know, it's not just here. So they um, they had uh, five individual stock sales in the history of the Packers, uh, one in 1923, 1935. 1950, 1997, and the most recent being in 2011. Now, a lot of the money is used to make advancements to Lambeau Field, uh, you know, make it a better attraction for people to come uh, from all around to see the games. They uh, have, you know, built like the Don Hudson uh, practice field and, and that and everything that, that exists down there. Uh, is because of these public uh, stock shares that, you know, that they make these public sales and gather all this money. Really, all you get is uh, a piece of paper, a commemorative piece of paper that says, I own a one or how many ever shares you bought of the Green Bay Packers. You don't physically own. There is no return. uh, There's no profit sharing or anything like that. It's just for the fun of it. Yeah. You're just just giving back to the team. Right. And that's that's honestly what they need is, you know, especially just being this, you know, publicly owned team. They don't have all of the same dollars and cents that all these other people have. So I want to take this time to uh, talk about some of the notable players uh, in Packer history that have uh, been inducted and enshrined into the Hall of Fame. So, of course, we have Earl Curly Lambeau. Uh, obviously he's the, uh, the founder and a coach of the green Bay Packers. Um, we have, um, Johnny, Johnny blood, another really phenomenal defensive player, uh, Don Hudson. Um, he's another really great defensive player for the green Bay Packers. 
Um, or, and, and excuse me, Johnny Blood was a halfback, not, not a defensive player. Um, and then we have, let's see. Well, Vince Lombardi, of course. And then there's uh, Jim Taylor, uh, notable fullback again. That guy is absolutely phenomenal. Going back and watching film from the early days. Uh, and there are some really decent stories about Jim Taylor being, you know, that that uh, the running back. And I think he, he even maybe got drunk one, one time before a really important game, thinking that uh, one of the newer guys was going to start over him. And then the newer guy ended up getting sick. So then he had to go out and perform the next day, completely hungover, and he like scored two or three touchdowns. That's awesome. Uh, Forrest Gregg, he's a tackle. Bart Starr, Ray Nitschke, uh, Herb Adderley, Willie Davis, um, Paul Horning, another uh, halfback that was, uh, I believe he was the, um, he might have actually been the one that went out and got drunk that time, and then, and then Jim Taylor was the newer guy. Uh, but uh, Willie Wood, We've got uh, Henry Jordan, James Lofton, uh, and then of course we get in. We start getting into the more modern era guys, uh, Reggie White, and then we've got Dave Robinson, Ron Wolf, who I spoke of before, uh, former uh, vice president and general manager of the team, uh, made some amazing changes to this team to give us that that winning history again uh, after falling off for like thirty years or something. Uh, then we get into the greatest uh, football player of all time, Brett Favre. Um, we have Jerry Kramer, who I know, I think we just recently lost Jerry Kramer. Um, and then uh, we have some of the uh, players' numbers that have been retired over the you know the last few seasons as well. Reggie White, Brett Favre, uh, you know, the, the list just goes on of these individuals who just have made a massive name and uh, uh, notoriety to the Green Bay Packers, making us, you know, feel like a real established team in this incredibly small market. Yeah, I mean, everyone here in Wisconsin has such pride in the game. I, I was telling Sturgeon to kind of keep this limited because of me and him could talk 10 parts episodes of the Packers. We both love the Packers. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the details that are leading up to certain things that we've already mentioned, those things might've been left out. If you, if you have a moment, go to the green Bay Packers website, they talk all about the history of the green Bay Packers. There's incredible videos that they've produced over the last decade that people get on camera. All of the individuals that we just named are basically in these uh, documentaries that are, that are just totally encompassing the history. Whereas we just scratched the surface. Uh, I really wanted to take this moment to to ask Russ, my co-host here, what what are some of your notable Packers memories? You know, it's it was I've only been to two two games with my dad and my stepmom, and uh, I mean that was just an experience all in itself. I mean, it, it's crazy because you there there are no open seats in 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 Lambeau Field ever ever, and I, the one game we went to, I think it was. 30 degrees and like the majority of the stand didn't have shirt on like i always say 30s no shirties that's yeah. kind of my saying I yep. always, you know and it was just nuts and obviously i come from a household of packers fans shouting yelling you know sipping a couple miller lights like that was just kind of how i was raised so i just I, I can't wait to give that on to my kids and let them you know 
enjoy the Packers as much as I had my whole life. Yeah, and I think that that's where a lot of this stems from is uh, just being able to pass it down uh, through you know some of these traditions that people build around. Uh, what what I'm going to say is watching games on Sundays, Packers yeah. on Sundays. Now, not all the games are on Sundays. You've got you know Thursdays, you've got Mondays, you've got some Saturdays for playoffs, but. It's that tradition of Packer Sunday, Packer football Sunday. I remember one time being at your dad's house and it was the, what now is known as the last game uh, for the Packers for Brett Favre. Now, this is the NFC championship game. We are facing the New York Giants with uh, uh, Manning as the quarterback out there. They have an amazing team. I mean, they, they clearly have uh, beaten Tom Brady in a couple Super Bowls, which is a feat of its own. Uh, but on this particular game, it was cold. It was rough. It's in Lambeau. Brett Favre isn't playing the greatest game of his career. On the last and final play of this game, Brett Favre throws, you know, this Hail Mary of a type, you know, last second throw that, Maybe we'll win. Maybe we won't. At the time, the the game was, uh, the score was twenty three to twenty. The Packers are down by a field goal. They're not within field goal range, so the the quarterback has to make something happen. He doesn't pick the greatest you know spot to to throw the ball. The the Giants have an amazing defense at this time running on this play. He throws a you know a a pretty terrible duck pass to uh, uh, David Tyree, I believe, of the New York Giants, ending the Packer season that year. And uh, like I said, eventually ending uh, his career, you know, right there for the Packers. But I remember the absolute pandemonium and uproar at your house. Oh yeah. I thought we were in Lambo at the moment because yeah. it was so loud. I mean, I sank a couple beers after it was pretty depressing. I, was, I love the Packers, oh, man. It was so the, down. The depression that set in after that game was, one for the ages. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it, easy to get over in Wisconsin when the Packers lose. You can just tell at work, everyone's just down in the dumps. It's just how it is here. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a we, we carry it for a while. You know, it, it lasts until at least you know Tuesday or Wednesday, until we start prepping for the next game. Uh, another fantastic moment I have was, um. A playoff game against the 49ers. I've referenced it on this on this podcast before. Um, but this was, I, th I believe, 2014. Uh, Packers versus 49ers in Lambeau. It's like one of the top 10 coldest games in, in uh, Lambeau history. Uh, at kickoff, it's like 18 below. And it just feels like you're, you're going to die. I'm wearing not enough clothing. <laughs> I'm asking people around me for gloves or mittens during the thing. They had covered the both the the floor and your 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 bench seat with something to make it a little more thermal. It was just an amazing amazing experience. That's one of many playoff games that I've been to there. It's one of many many games in general that I've been to at Lambeau Field. And I'll I'll admit, I mean, it's just a different atmosphere when you are in the stadium. You are brothers and sisters with everybody around you, and you're all watching what you know is going to be some sort of history. Somebody's going to talk about whatever game you're at uh, in the future. 
It's, it doesn't end then after, you know, four quarters. It's, it's just something special. And we, and I can't believe that we have that here in green Bay, Wisconsin. For sure. All right. Now we have another music segment. This band comes to us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This band is honey Creek. These guys are young. They are really, really good at pop punk music. This stuff sounds exactly like Newfound Glory, Knuckle Deep, uh, Rome. There's a bunch of these bands out right now that are pretty small in comparison to what pop punk used to be back in like the early 2000s. You and I both were huge fans of pop punk movement. Oh, for sure. I mean, Newfound Glory, Motion City Soundtrack, Blink-182, early Fallout Boy, not more recent stuff, but... Yeah. All just massive, massive bands. And now it seems like the genre has taken maybe a little bit of a backseat to some of the other pop stuff uh, and like rap and hip hop. But all the better because I love the fact that we're able to listen to these amazing bands and especially with the music scene in Milwaukee. Honey Creek has played a bunch of shows with uh, like Telethon and Brave You. So I've seen them a number of times uh, on the same stages as these guys uh, that I know personally. So uh, the the band Honey Creek, like I said, amazing musicianship. Their drummer, Donnie, uh, he's been uh, a fill-in for uh, Telethon on some shows. Uh, and I know, I think, um, the, the bassist of Telethon, Alex Meinlich, he's been a fill-in for other spots on their stuff. It's just an amazing culture here in Milwaukee with this music scene. And they're all playing, you know, these uh, uh, pop, pop punk, power pop type of stuff that it just is. It feels like to me in my heart, a great resurgence of one of the best genres of music. And they do it with those hard chugging power chords and just infectious uh, hooks for lyrics. And it's just amazing. I love it. Yeah, we've been so lucky on this podcast. We've been getting like the top of the top Wisconsin bands. The cream of the crop. Oh, for sure. I mean, this these are the best. And like, these guys are awesome. Yeah, I uh, I work with um, uh, the guitarist's aunt also for, for uh, Honey Creek. So these guys are, are just phenomenal. I I couldn't think of a more fitting band to throw in here. Because they are absolutely phenomenal, and they fit in right where you and I used to try to play this this type of stuff. We never hit this type of quality, uh, but these guys are great, and I hope you enjoy. Again, this is Honey Creek, and the song is The Time It Took.
All right. Again, the music you just heard was from the band Honey Creek, and the song was The Time It Took. Definitely go check out the rest of their stuff. They have a couple different albums, a couple of EPs. Uh, They are on Bandcamp. They are on Spotify. They've got videos up on YouTube. Check out Honey Creek. They are local in Milwaukee. Awesome. We now have a beer review segment. So today we're drinking the uh, Hazy IPA from City Lights Brewing Company. It's a 7% alcohol by volume. Uh, Quite a tasty beer. It uh, has a a whole bunch of hops in it. It has Citra, Mosaic, and Amarillo hops in a Whirlpool. And is double dry hopped with Eldorado and Vic Secret. Lend tropical and juicy notes from these beautiful hops. The bitterness is not too bad. It's uh, pretty flavorful. has a great aroma. When you open the beer, you're getting this uh, initial like fruity scent. It's really good. Yeah. It goes down easy. And uh, at 7%, sometimes these can be a little kicker. Yeah, and it's not. So like some of the ones that we've uh, had recently, the there's no real aftertaste or uh, after hit on the back of the tongue of anything citrusy or anything. It's really hop forward and it hot, it, it's hop throughout. So it, it starts off with the most bitterness at the beginning of it. And then it sort of tapers uh, as you let it rest. Yeah. It's very well balanced. It's not too much. It's enough where it's, it's tasty. It's one of those ones you can drink summer heat. Another one where, you know, you're not going to want to be doing the roof work when you're drinking too many of these bad boys. Yeah, but you're, you're going to be tumbling off the pitch on that one. Yeah, you don't want to be climbing ladders. Um, but, yeah, if you don't know, City Lights is actually in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, it was established in 2016. It's just downtown. We've been really wanting to go check this place out. And yeah. hopefully we'll have them on a future show. Yeah, when you uh, when you see it off the highway, it's got quite a uh, a cool look. It's it's right off of the, uh, the main drag there. <laughs> Russ just spilled on himself. Man. It's right off the main drag, right off the highway. You see it like just after you get past Miller Park and then just after Pottawatomie. And then off to the right, you see that city lights. Uh, it's just a, a cool old building that they've sort of inhabited. And uh, like like Russ said, it's been around since uh, 2016. Uh, so they're relatively new. But again, it's one of those, it's one of those breweries that's uh, really taken off. It's not... It's not still in that like infancy period or, you know, to us, it doesn't seem that way uh, because they've had so many great beers. They've had so many great events out there. So it's it's uh, an absolutely amazing brewery right here in uh, the state of Wisconsin and even and even more so right near us in Milwaukee. So definitely check it out. Uh, their Facebook page is where they announce most of their events and most things that they're going to uh, have for the week or for the month. I know with COVID again, a lot of things are um, a little more uncertain uh, and there's not a whole lot of like live action going on, but once again, uh, mark this thing down on a list, keep track of things that you need to check out. Uh, this one is definitely a, a great event, a great venue rather. Yeah. And I, don't, I think this one's available all year round. I've seen it in the winter months yeah the hazy's available yep so you can get it anytime and uh yeah we're really not beer snobs we just really want to encourage you to go and maybe try something new and explore like me and me and eric we drink junk beer too i'll tell you right now yeah i mean we're not we're certainly not always grabbing a craft beer or a micro brew uh our pinkies aren't up we don't you know you know turn our face to 
uh, a classic bush light, uh, bush lattes. A lot of people nectar of the refer gods. to the nectar of the gods. Uh, we're not above a Bud Light or a Miller Light. Uh, honestly, whatever your host is providing, you drink. And when I buy a cube of beer, it's typically of the bush light fashion. And uh, then I have these additional kind of craft uh, micro brews as, uh, you know, that one or two that, hey, you know what? It's a rough day. You can slug down one of these beers and just be mellow and chill. Yeah, I kind of, you know, if I'm, I'm going to be day drinking all day, I like to start out with two good, like, craft beers. Like, you know, spend that extra loot, get a little more ABV. Then you can switch back to that, like, just watery beer, you know. Be which, a little bit lighter on it yeah, for, exactly, the, for the remainder of the day. Yeah, because you kind of get, like, that little buzz going. You just keep it going with those lights. You well, know? And, and you don't want to just be, you know, stumbling around right. after drinking 10 of these other things. That's just a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if, if you have 10 of these, you'll be in the out. you'll be you'll be laying somewhere in the yard. Your your wife or a significant other is going to have to be uh, waking out, you up. Out cold. For sure. Yeah. But so. again, that was Hazy IPA from City Lights Brewing Company. Check it out. Grab it wherever you get your beer from. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. So we have a, another edition of How Many Loco You At? Today's how many loco you at is a little different. It's a little intriguing. Some might say it's even a little risque, if you will. Probably not for the reasons that you immediately think when I say risque or taboo. But today's episode or today's uh, story comes to us from the Platteville area. In fact, a Platteville police officer was arrested for intoxicated driving. So a Grant County Sheriff tells the 27 News Department that a deputy was arrested on October 23rd for a first offense OWI. The uh, Grant County deputy was driving south shortly before midnight on October 23rd near uh, U.S. Highway 151 and near County O., when he met a vehicle traveling north in the southbound lane. I want to repeat that, north in the southbound lane. At the same time, the Grant County Communications Center also received an emergency call about the same vehicle. So multiple people have seen this guy yeah. driving a little outside his lane. Just a bit outside. He's going hard, rigid. <laughs> Uh, the uh, deputy stopped the vehicle near Hummingbird Lane, and the deputy was later uh, arrested and released later uh, to a responsible party. So let me just preface all of this by saying uh, nobody is immune to the, the, the arrest and conviction of OWI. It doesn't matter who you are in the state of Wisconsin— if you are drunk driving, you will be caught and you will be arrested. Even if you are a, a police officer or somebody of the law. So, Russ, can you give me your best guess? I mean, we don't have uh, a breathalyzer. Uh, you know, we don't have any of that. We do know that he was driving in the wrong lane. So what do you believe the local level is here. So the local level, um, in my opinion, you know, probably two and a half cans. I'm guessing a 10 local here. 
Um, because okay. the, the, a local, like one local enough will make you do some wild stuff. Yeah. Two cans. Oof. And Can, you add that extra half in there. You're going, you're going north was, on the south. I was just going to say when you do a one can, things start to get a little weird. When you get it through with the second can, things are really, really starting to get difficult. Most normal individuals will think to themselves and still have kind of that sound mind to say, I don't need to be getting behind the wheel of any sort of motorized vehicle. You get that additional half can. You're at that two and a half. Now, all of a sudden, all judgment is impaired and you have no ability to think freely and rationally. You are in the wrong lane. Satan, take the wheel. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Just, that's pretty much it at that point. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I believe you hit this one directly on the head. This is a two and a half loco without any question. Yeah, it's it's a dangerous level. I don't recommend, you know, if, if you're a local drinker, that's cool. We're not judging you. That's fine. Just be very wary that a local will mess you up. Yeah, uh, I believe the uh, common phrasing is, hey, you play with loco, you wind up burned. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's it, but that should be on the cans. It's close. Cool. So we're here with Tom from Cheesehead Brewing in Beloit, Wisconsin. Can you give us a little bit of uh, information about your uh, brewery? Um, any events coming up, new beers, and uh, current hours you currently have? Okay. Well, the last one I'll answer first. Our current hours are Thursday through Sunday. We open at 3 o'clock on uh, Thursday and Friday, and then we open at, uh, we're opening at 10 a.m. on Saturdays now because the farmer's market is going on and uh noon on sundays so um we stay open till 11 o'clock on friday and saturday night as well so um new beers to be honest are a little bit of a struggle we have our uh, ipas coming out um it's been hard for us to get those beers because we're a contract brewer so um of course during the covid shutdown um everything was kind of shut down from that production as well and then a surge happened um, and everybody then wants to get in the production line. So uh, we just came out with Cherry Alvarez a couple of weeks ago, um, which was kind of in the queue during March and we just let it stay in the fermenters um, during the whole shutdown. So um, yeah, we're, we're excited to try and get out with our mango habanero, which we had in January and February. Um, that's due to come out in the next couple of weeks as well as well as a session IPA. Sounds great. Yeah. So I, I have yet to check it out, but uh, we, we actually live on a 213 there in Beloit. We've been meaning to come in and check it out. Uh, any any events or anything coming up that you guys have? I know COVID's been kind of a downer for everyone recently, but... Um, no, we occasionally have some music on Saturday nights, live music. Um, that's usually updated with our Facebook page and, uh, visit Beloit. We'll put something out if we uh, put it out in time for them. Um, but no, we don't, we don't really have anything. We were trying to get a trivia night going and, um, there was a great trivia night over at, uh, Bushel and Peck. And, um, when that shut down the, the group, a lot of the members that were going there asked me to get involved with the trivia night, but, but everybody's kind of, um, 
asking to hold off till we know, you know, we can get 70 or 80 people in one room, quite frankly, um, that that's a concern. So, um, we will be having a bags league here in a few weeks on Wednesdays, um, and a trivia night on Thursday, but the trivia night is on hold, as I mentioned. And also we love the, we love the name of the brewery. We're both huge Packers fans. So we love the name. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely a Wisconsin themed, uh, tap room and, and, and now we're building into our restaurant. Um, and we've just acquired our brewing equipment too. So we'll be brewing on site as soon as we can get that permitting process going. Um, we received our, our, uh, two barrel brew system, uh, last week, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, our, our beers are kind of named after Wisconsin icons like state street stout, um, holy cow, which is a chocolate porter, um, cherry Alvarez again is a cherry chocolate porter. Um, so we've been roses are red is our red ale, which is our most popular beer, but it's of course meant to be similar to the Rose bowl. Um, so yeah, it's all about either Badger or Packer or just, you know, Wisconsin in general. That's, that's what we're all about. That's awesome. I love those names. Yeah. <laughs> so our food is, uh, locally sourced to as much as possible. We do, um, you're probably familiar with, uh, Decatur dairy. Of course. All of our, uh, we do uh, kind of grown up grilled cheese, you may call it, or panini grilled cheeses, which are quite massive. Um, we use local breads when we can from bagels and more, and then Decatur dairy, and we pile it on three layers, not one layer, but three layers thick. It's like a cheese, you know, lava volcano. When you cut it in half, it's really just awesome. It's a meal, literally, in itself. Awesome. Um, we use Nooski's bacon. Um, if you're familiar with Nooski's, so we yeah. use, uh, the local bacon and, um, locally sourced meats when we're able to, and we have a huge smoker. Um, we smoke meats on weekends. Um, and again, try to, uh, use local source meats when we can. So it's all, it's all about Wisconsin for sure. I that's, love it. Yeah, that's great. It's exactly what we're all about. We're trying to promote, you know, people getting out there, checking out new breweries, new beers, local beers. You spend that extra few dollars, you know, you get a better quality beer on top of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, our, our guest beers are tap, uh, Wisconsin tap beers, craft beers as well. So great. Yeah. And we try and mix that up a little bit, uh, as best we can. Um, we like, we always try and keep a couple Potosi's on tap. They're a great beer story, but we use uh, steel tank and we've used, um, brewfinity. And of course we do have spotted cow on tap. That That's our, that's our one regular that we'll keep just cause it, it, it's uh, appealing to the Illinois guests that come in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, actually yeah. we're, we're really good friends with the Potosi people. We just had them on one of our shows and uh, they're all really good people. So. Yeah, well, and they make some good beers, too. We just put their IPA on tap, and we've had their Golden Ale on tap for quite a while. That's a that's a nice beer for for people that come in with a friend or a spouse or something where they don't really want a heavily hot beer or a dark craft beer, but that, that Golden Ale is nice when someone says, I just want something kind of simple. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, we use Potosi uh, always. All right, Tom, and before we let you go, we always do our segment, uh, How Wisconsin Are You? And we have a few questions to see how you uh, fare, if you're ready. Okay, I don't know. I, I have to tell you, I do have bronchitis. I kind of forgot about this. I'm a little under the weather. So oh, it's, it's okay. Give me a break. Talk slowly. All right. 
Have you ever tailgated at a Brewers, Packers, or Badgers game? Two of the three, yes. Great. So you you almost hit the trifecta. You're almost there. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and then uh, what? So obviously, beer brats are a big thing in Wisconsin. Uh, what what kind of beer do you usually use with your beer brat? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. We smoke our brats at Cheesehead, which gives it a whole different dynamic. All that juicy fat stays inside, and it's crisp on the outside like a Chicago hot dog. But if I do, it would it would be something simple um, like our red ale. Awesome. We, we do, uh, do uh, bacon-wrapped um, brats, and they are better than any brat you've had in a long time, I promise. Every, everybody says that because we smoke them. Uh, we yeah. don't boil them because when you boil them, you boil out the fat. All the good flavor goes out with it. So, I have I I will definitely <laughs> try that. I I am looking forward to that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way it was done. You know, a hundred years ago. So anyway, yes. So have you ever operated a snowblower? Of course. Yes. I know it's that's that's an easy <laughs> question. Honestly. Um. So it's this. Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, nice. So this this you've probably answered this already. Obviously, you use Decatur cheese, but have you ever had a squeaky cheese curd? Oh yes, that's the only way to have. When they're fresh, they're squeaky. I know they just like rub it. They're like the freshest. They're salty. They have like a little water left. They're so good. Yeah, we said we do sell Decatur dairy cheese curds at our place too. Oh, they're so good. We just went there probably a week ago. I love that place. Honestly, it's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. All right, next question: Have you ever hit a deer? Um, actually, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have. <laughs> That's I mean, a standard tree, Wisconsin thing. In a, in, a, in a boss's car when I was young. Yeah, oh, man. oh, man. All right. Uh, the next question. How do you like your old fashioned? Sweet. Sweet. Do you use brandy or whiskey? Oh, brandy. I'm, of course, brandy. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a Wisconsin way. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I thought that was a given. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and we just had somebody on that was just just stating that he likes his whiskey, but it, that is the original recipe. But in Wisconsin, you can't have a non-blackberry brandy old fashioned. You have right. to have them once in a the, while. The brandy is the key, I think. Yeah, it is. So true. All right. How do you like your Bloody Mary? And uh, do you use a mix, or do you kind of make it um, from scratch? I like to use Beepa's Bloody Mary mix. Beepa's is a Beloit company, and uh, they make a Bloody Mary mix, and I like it spicy. Yeah, same here. We we, we like this one. It's it's not really a Beloit or local, but it's Jimmy Loves, and I remember that that thing just burns. But I'm gonna have to try this Beloit company. I, I've never heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, they won first place at State Fair last year for uh, I I think it was their pickled vegetables, but uh, we do their pickled vegetables too. So th- it's a really neat. It's it's worth a try. You can go to the Piggly Wiggly and find it. Nice. That yeah, that's a hell of an accolade to win too. Best, you know. That's there's a so huge many, thing yeah. in Wisconsin. There's yeah. so many of them out there. I mean, yeah. Well, again, if you're all about Wisconsin, they won first place last year, and so they're reigning champs since there's no State Fair this year. Well, we're going to be, we're definitely going to try that now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. All right. Next question. What is your favorite Wisconsin supper club? It's always a tough question, but we got to ask. Well, I'm from Beloit. I like uh, the 615 and Benedetti's. Those are both good ones. Have you ever been to the uh, Butterfly Club? Oh, well, actually, yeah, of course there. Yeah, I would say that's kind of my fave too. Um, Yeah, that's, uh, that's really nice in the summer with the 
with the outdoor seating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, and I like 615 just as much. I, they're, um, their environment is uh, a little nicer. I think the, the butterfly club has a little bit of that, uh, that, that little live music, the piano thing going for it, but right. harder well, to get in. I, I do have to go to the butterfly now because the, the green chairs there and that whole, uh, nothing has changed in 30 or 40 years. Right. I like that. I love that. Yeah. All right. All right, Tom, I got one more question before we let you go today. So besides your brewer, your brewery, um, what, what is a brewery tour you recommend for somebody to check out? Well, it's probably the smallest brewery tour, but I like One Barrel Brewing a lot. I, I, I will model my brewer after him. They, it's in Madison. They literally have One Barrel, if you've been there, a One Barrel brew house. Um, they're right off State Street. I've definitely had some of their beers, and they're all really well-crafted, really good. Yeah. But yeah. – uh, yeah, thank you so much. No, Tom, go ahead. Go ahead. Lakefront is real nice, too. Lakefront's a really good one. I, I always like the uh, Laverne and Shirley yeah. that you sing at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but, Tom, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we really appreciate it. We hope to uh, make it down there soon and uh, come visit you guys. Okay, well, I appreciate the call. Thank have you, Tom. Thank you for your time. You. All right, bye. Bye. So we have another edition of This Day in Wisco history. So, on August 2nd is when the Great Lone Ranger appeared at the Rock County Fair. So this was in 1961, and with a cloud of dust and a mighty hi-ho, Silver! The Lone Ranger and his horse, Silver, appeared at the Rock County 4-H Fair. Uh, at the time, uh, uh, the Lone Ranger was played by actor Clayton Moore, um, masked horseman, champion of law and order. Uh, it was a big hit playing in uh, two shows to a packed grandstand. Um, if you haven't been to the Rock County Fair, it's actually pretty cool. They end up getting quite a few really great country artists uh, that come and play. And, I mean, like all other fairs, county fairs, uh, they have all of their other 4-H stuff, all of the different things that they do for showing animals. So it's, it's, it's a fun time. But in this particular instance, in 1961, on August 2nd, the Lone Ranger was a, was a, a main stage act. That's really cool. Yeah, I've seen a few really good acts there, actually, at the Rock County Fair. I think I've seen Travis Tritt one time, who's actually pretty decent. Big name, yeah. Uh, and I've seen like some of those 80s hair metal bands, like yeah. Tesla and I think maybe Whitesnake. Sure, sure. After the, well after the 80s for them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw Eric, I think, Pasley, and he was like the one that, uh, he, he stood out to me. He was a, a big name country artist uh, a few years ago. I think 2016 was when I went uh, the last time. I haven't been to a lot of county fairs since uh, since then, but at the time... Uh, you know, in 2016, I was coming out to your house quite a bit in Janesville and, uh, you pass right by the, the rock County fair grounds. And I happened to notice that he was going to be there and he had a couple really good songs, uh, on the, uh, on the country charts. I figured why the hell not? Yeah, for sure. It's a smaller one, but it's a really good one. I recommend you guys check it out. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. All right. That concludes this episode 
of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, we recommend you subscribe via SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, leave us a review on any one of those above-mentioned sites, and we can read one at the end of every show. Follow us on social media, and feel free to reach out, especially if there is a piece of history or weird news you'd love us to share or research, as well as highlight some local artists or music. Our website is projectcapestudio.com. I'd also like to thank my friend and past co-worker, Steph Skibak, for providing us with awesome podcast cover art, as well as the Dangits for intro and outro music, and all of you for listening. As always... Watch, Watch out, out for, for deer, deer on, on the way, way home. home.